It is so good to be here, and it's so good to be with you all, and I want to, I get the opportunity to do this for the very first time, so that's what I'm going to do. I have the mic. I'm, I'm kind of in control. I don't know why they did that, but they chose to, to give me control over this, but I want to take a moment and welcome our Somerset, Williamsburg, and Middlesbrough campus, and, and, and just for joining in on us, and it's really awesome that you can be connected like this in this day and age, and, and you can minister and reach far and wide all across the board. But before I jump in, I, I, like Jack said, my name is Will Zick, and I want to introduce you to my family, and they're going to be right here on the screen for you. Um, I, I never thought I would be in a place like this. Um, I never thought I would, I would be here. I was born in Knoxville. I was raised in Corbin because my dad was in the coal business. And I've lived as far east as Paintsville, as far west as Wycliffe, as far north as Louisville, and just about every city in between that. I have, my, my parents were fruitful and multiplied. Uh, that's what they did. And uh, I have three brothers and a sister and we're spread out all over the map as well. Uh, but it's awesome because I get to minister alongside two of my brothers. One's a biblical counselor in Tennessee and one is a pastor in Southport, North Carolina. So if you're ever in the beach area visiting down there, you can find my other brother that is, that is off in the distance away from all of us. So, uh, but uh, what, who's pictured here is my wife, Brittany. We've been together for over, shoot, 23 years, been married 19 years. It, it, it's just amazing the graciousness that God had on me that, you know, you marry up, you marry, marry better. And that's what I did. And she is part of who I am today and has helped make me become this. And that the reason I can stand here before you, but pictured also is my oldest son, Liam. He's 16, just turned 16 a little while ago, a sophomore at South Oral High School and a soccer player, a tennis player, likes to just play around with golf and, and, and just likes to be active at all times. And then on on our far, my far left, you're right, is Titus. Uh, we knew that when we got married, that we were going to be a multicultural family. We discussed it. We, we believed it. And God opened the avenue for adoption. And I would love to tell you Titus's story. I just don't have time this morning. But if there's a time that you catch me and say, hey, I want to hear Titus's story, you really do want to hear his story. It, it is an amazing story of God's grace, God's provision. And Titus has made us better. Um, as a family and has expanded our horizons in ways we never thought we could be pushed. And then not pictured here are my other three sons. You say, you've got five sons. I've only seen two. That's right. We are the United Nations family. Uh, we hosted foreign exchange students and I have a son. I'll call them all my sons. Son from Taiwan. His name is Sean. And then I have a son from Germany. His name is Leonard. And then I have a son from the Netherlands. His name is Louis. And they've come, one's in the States right now, and we've had them come back and visit. We just sent our last one off this past summer, and it's been a blessing uh, just to broaden the horizons of the culture and the world in which we live. And, and now we're connected all over Europe and Asia because of those three gentlemen that are becoming fine young men and, and growing in that. But we've been in this series called The Drift. And the idea of this series is that it, it, it may be not always the case, but for the majority of the time is, is that we rarely drift in a good direction. A drift isn't necessarily a great thing. It, it, it kind of takes us off course. And this morning, what we're going to be looking at, and really who we're going to be looking at, is a lesser-known king in Judah who be, could have become a great known king. He probably could have been mentioned up there with King David. 
uh, maybe even King Solomon. His successes were widely known and they impacted thousands, if not millions of people. But in his life, like many of our lives, he experienced personal drift. He experienced what I call right here, dash drift. This idea that we drift within our dash. But before we jump into the dash, I wanna go back to the drift. Because a few weeks ago, Pastor Trevor mentioned the definition that we had for drift. And if you weren't here, I'd love to catch you up. And if you were here, you get just a recap of this. So here is the definition of drift. The drift, it's the result of a gravitational pull that causes an unintentional move. That means the move wasn't planned. It wasn't intended. It wasn't intentional. You didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm just tired of the life that I'm living. I'm just going to drift off. I'm going to float. I'm going to coast. I'm just going to just take my, my, my car off an embankment and, and, and just keep going. It's, that's not how it happens because it's unintentional. And when it's unintentional, it causes you and I to move away from values. It, moves, it causes us to move away from perspective and, and our beliefs. Really what happens is, is that you and I, we drift from progress and purpose. The purpose that we wanted for our lives. The purpose that we thought we, we wanted to achieve with our lives. And then it has a result, it has consequences. It's unintended changes, and they're not positive. They negatively impact the quality and direction of one's life. We say, well, how in the world does this happen? Well, it happens like this. When the most important things, what used to be mo most important, become less important. And then those less important things, we move to the top and they become most important. Things we used to pay careful attention to, you and I no longer pay careful attention to it. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this right here. We must pay more. That's an emphatic word right there. It means very excessive, very more careful attention. Why? So that we don't drift away. Well, what do we need to pay attention to? What we've heard. What you and I have been taught. We drift from those things. We forget those things that what we were taught before we forget them in the present. Now you and I, we all have something in common. It may not be the exact same, but it's pretty close to within, within a range here. And it's this right here. We all have a beginning date and we're all going to have a concluding date. Okay, last I checked, my concluding date hasn't arrived yet uh, because I'm here and you're here, and your concluding date isn't here. Now, I'm gonna save you the quick math on this. If you say, okay, 1980, that's my birth year. And you say, how old are you? I'm 42, okay, 42 years old. And I know you're thinking, my gosh, he only looks like he's about 28. I know. <laughs> Jeans, creams, lotions, I don't know what it is that's going on. But I, I just, you know, We'll call it a gift, okay? I don't know. 1980 is when I was born. And at some point in time in my life at that question mark, I'm gonna have a concluding date. And you're gonna have a concluding date. And that concluding date is when your time and my time on earth is finished. We have a beginning and we'll have an end. But that's not where I wanna focus. What I wanna focus on is this right here. This little thing right here in the middle. This is why it's called dash drift. The dash 
This dash right here in the middle of our lives, it represents everything we've ever been, everything we are now, and everything we will be until there's a date at the end. And this dash right here, we want it to have purpose. We want it to mean something. We want it to have influence and we want it to have significance. This dash for everybody in this world is the determining factor to how you are remembered, I am remembered, everybody is remembered. And each day that we're given, including today and the future days to come, Lord willing, is an added story to our lives that you and I are living. And yet in the middle of this dash, life happens, circumstances happen, situations happen. We make choices and these, the, the, this happening of life and the choices we make, you know what they do? They push us off course and they misdirect our steps, guiding us off away from the progress and purpose that we all want that dash to represent. And drift happens in all sorts of areas in this dash, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our friendships, whether it's in relationships, whether it's work. And all series long, we looked that we can even drift from our faith. And in every single area of our life, there are entry points for drift. And that's what I want to go towards this morning is one particular entry point that we often, we, we overlook, but the probability is extremely high for all of us to drift when this happens in our life. In fact, there's a real possibility that it's already happened for some. It's an area that gets overlooked. You know why? It brings you and I to a place where we think we have arrived. It's where we think we're invincible, we're untouchable, we're unstoppable, and we get to this moment and we think there's no way possible it's gonna happen to me. Why? Because I have it all under control in the palm of my hands. The momentum is so great, not a thing can stop us. Everybody desires it, most everybody. I've only met one person who told me they didn't want this. Everybody desires it, wants it, wants to achieve it. They seek it. Yet what we have to understand in life is the very thing that make us can be the very thing that breaks us. What am I talking about this morning? Success. Success. And don't go thinking, okay, now the pastor's gonna tell me to sell everything I have, be a failure at everything, be a loser, don't do anything worthwhile. Just make sure we're a bum the rest of our life. That's not it at all. That's not what this is about at all because success in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Every single one of us have benefited from success in one way or another. But over time, success as it becomes more and more and more has the propensity to become lax. We become lax in what we used to do. 
I've, I've discovered this in ministry over the years. I've been an adult pastor, an outreach pastor, a youth pastor. I've been an interim pastor. I've been a lead pastor and I've been a church planter. And especially in church planning, this happens. Because when you first start off in church planning and you start doing things, you're really honed in. You're really focused on like the minute details to make sure all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. You want to make sure everything is perfect. Everything's going to come off without a hitch. It's all in line exactly how we want it to go. But as things progress and as numbers go up, as things happen, you start to loosen up a little bit. You start to maybe relax on some of the things you used to do. And we begin to think, you know what? It's going so well. Can anything go wrong? Wrong thing to ask. Because if it's going to go wrong, it's probably going to go wrong. And that's why the author of Hebrews tells you and I to pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Because success can cause you and I to loosen the guardrails, loosen the parameters that got us to where we are. On the road to success, guess what we are? We're dialed in and focused. We're laser sharp in everything. We resisted the things that would deter us from where it is that we want to be, what it is that we want to achieve, what we desire to be, and where we saw ourselves way back when, when the vision entered our heart. But over time, just a little bit by little bit, drift started entering. And the more sex successful we became, the things we once resisted, the things we once resisted, the things we once did, the focus we had, it loosens up. And let me tell you something, when we loosen the parameters and widen the guardrails that we put in place to get where we are, we begin to drift. That's illustrated in the life of the king that we're looking at this morning. He was, a, he was a king in Judah. Now, before really Judah itself existed, there was one kingdom. That was the nation of Israel. One nation, one body to represent the one true God, to be set apart from everybody else. But after Solomon and his fall, God said the kingdom would be divided into two. You would have the northern kingdom and you would have the southern kingdom. And if you were to read 1 Kings through 2 Chronicles, these books that we have in the Bible, you would discover all of these kings. And some of them are in great detail. Some of them don't give us a whole lot of detail. But they had kings in the northern kingdom, 10 tribes, kings in the southern kingdom, two tribes. The kings in the northern kingdom, absolutely horrible. You never wanted to be under them. You honestly never wanted to be them. They were tyrants. They were horrible. And they eventually thrusted Israel into being overtaken and destroyed in 722 BC by none other than the Assyrians. But in the southern kingdom, you had hit or miss. You didn't know if it was going to be good or if it was going to be bad. You would get all these accounts and they lasted a little bit longer than the northern kingdom did. And it teaches us this in the southern kingdom that you can occupy the same throne and have different results. And then if you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 25 through 28, you're going to read about four kings. One king did pretty good. One king was horrible. And two kings, well... They had the, the trajectory to do well, but then they ended up faltering. And that's where we pick up this morning. This is what it says in 2 Chronicles 26.1. All the people, 
I looked that word up because I wanted to make sure all meant all. It did. It means every single one of them. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king. A 16-year-old becoming king by all the people. Do you know how you know if people were Southern Baptist in the Bible or not? They weren't. They all agreed. There was this one guy that was there that his spiritual gift or her spiritual gift is to vote no, didn't exist at this time. All the people agreed on a 16-year-old to become king. I have yet to meet a 16-year-old, and I have one, that I would want to make king. They all agreed, and they made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. Now, here we get his name, Uzziah. If you were to go to 2 Kings chapter 15, you would find out that his name, his given name, is what they say, was Azariah. Azariah means Jehovah has helped. It's important. Uzziah here means Jehovah is strength. So Jehovah is giving him strength and helping him. And so would be the beginning of a successful reign because Chronicles gives us a great account of King Uzziah. And here's what it goes on to say about his achievements. He was the one who rebuilt Elith. Elith is a seaport town on the northern part of the Red Sea. He restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his fathers. And then it goes on to say he went to war against the Philistines. If you're not familiar with the Philistines, just go back and read the story of David and Goliath. Go back and read the story of Samson. The Philistines has been a thorn in Israel's side for years. And he went to war against them and he broke down their walls of Gath, Jadna, and Ashdod, and elsewhere among the Philistines. It tells us this, that God helped him. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbel and against the Munites. And the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. When you bring tribute to a king, it means that you are coming under his control. You are acknowledging him as sovereign king at that time. And that's what the Ammonites were doing. They were putting themselves under the rule of Uzziah. And here's what it tells us on his account. His fame spread. He was becoming popular, a sensation as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. This international sensation, this icon, he was being feared by other nations and the enemies of Israel. He was being praised by his own people and raised up. And it wasn't just international affairs that Uzziah gave attention to. He also gave attention to domestic affairs, including military and security, because it tells us this, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, and he built them at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall. City walls were critical then. City walls protected the city from being invaded. And these gates, they were points of penetration. And what did he do? He put towers there, and then he fortified them to protect the nation. He also built towers and he dug many cisterns. Not just fortifying the walls, but look what else he did. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600, and then he had another 307,000 plus men well-trained for war. He not only trained them, 
He equipped them. Shields, spears, arrows, armor, whatever it needed at that time that they needed to be a successful, massive, powerful army, he gave them. And his success was bleeding over into everything he did. It tells us that even in Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. He was ahead of his time. He had a vision and he created a strategy and an army. He was a mastermind at leadership, war and security. He had what you would call the Midas touch that everything he touched turned to gold. So we have to ask the question, well, what causes him to be so successful? Well, it wasn't Uzziah himself that made him successful. It was who had Uzziah's heart that made him so successful. And here's what it tells us. He did right. Where? In the eyes of the Lord. Colossians tells us to keep our eyes on the things above, not on the things below. That's what Uzziah was doing. Uzziah, when the psalmist said, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker, the Lord of heaven and earth. That was Uzziah. Where were his eyes? His eyes were on the Lord. Just as his father Amaziah had done, he sought God. Jeremiah said that if you seek God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. And that's what he did. And he did it during the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God. So not only was he doing right, not only was he seeking God, but he put himself under the leadership, authority, and accountability of none other than Zechariah. And then it tells us this, as long as he sought the Lord. God gave him success. His success was attached to as long as he sought God. We learned just a couple of weeks ago that blind spots are really dangerous. You're driving down the road and people can get in your blind spots. And I have a car that doesn't tell you that anybody's on your right or your left. And you have to really check to make sure that nobody's there because blind spots can cause an accident. Blind spots can cause harm. Blind spots are extremely dangerous. And success has dangerous blind spots that can catch every single one of us off guard. See, we think drift can't happen. And the moment you and I think drift can't happen, it's already begun. It's already started. Power comes with success. And where there's power, pride lurks in the corner, ready to pounce. Power has the ability to bring with it that you and I, we're invincible. We're unstoppable. We're untouchable. And we can't imagine anything other than success in our lives from happening. And the moment we start to go down that road, we take our eyes off the one who brought us to where we are and we begin to put the eyes on self. We put it on me. And that's what happened to Uzziah because it tells us in 2 Chronicles 26, it says his fame spread again, far and wide everywhere. He was greatly helped. And here's the key word until he became powerful. Greatly helped until. That's the story of a lot of our lives. Everything was going great until. I was experiencing success until. 
Every one of us have untils in our lives. We've worked hard, we've pushed hard, we've felt the success until, until crept in our lives. See, untils are everywhere because untils are a loosening of the parameters. They're a widening of the guardrails or even removing the guardrails. Untils, they're filled with pride that we can't be stopped. And what happened is, is this until drift found an entry point into Uzziah's life. He began to experience dash drift. And he did something that all of us are prone to do. And that's to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And Solomon warned of this. Solomon came before Uzziah and he warned of this very thing in Proverbs where it says, pride goes where? Before destruction. What comes after pride? Destruction. And a haughty, arrogant spirit before a fall. Arrogance causes us to fall. Pride brings destruction. And Uzziah has created an until in his life and he is on this path and it's coming and he doesn't even see it coming. But that's the way drift works. It's slow, it's subtle, and we don't even realize it's happening. And then you get what we call a big but in the Bible. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And what was his downfall? He was unfaithful to the Lord. What got him to where he was, he stopped doing and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What Uzziah did is he lost sight. He lost sight of the law in his power because he was king, not priest. You don't get to do what the priest does when you're king. You don't get to do whatever it is that you want to do when you're king. There are lanes and Uzziah refused to stay in his lane. And he would have known Exodus 30 and number 16 and 18 that talked about the role of the priest when it came to the altar of incense. And he didn't have the lawful authority to burn incense. It's like for him, just being a great king, it just wasn't enough. He wanted more than what he was experiencing. So what did he do? He loosened the parameters. He widened the guardrails. He stopped his time with Zechariah. Either Zechariah died or he just stopped it all together. The coffee meetings, the text messages, the phone calls, whatever it is, the communication that they use. He just, he just ended it. He stopped sitting under the instruction of Zechariah. So what was present in his life to get him there was no longer present. He had become to believe that he was invincible. Not only, not only did he forget the rules, oh, he thought the rules didn't apply to him. He thought he was above the rules. There was a French military and political leader by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. And he rejected the notion that with privilege brings responsibility. Completely rejected it. Here's what he said. I am not an ordinary man that the laws of morals and wisdom and the laws of morals and wisdom, they were never made for me. That's what he believed. He believed that he was above, that the rules didn't apply to him of the common man, that he was above and superior to the common man, that the morals and wisdom, those laws, they weren't meant for him. Now, I don't know anybody, I haven't really met anybody that would say that they're arrogant enough 
that they necessarily believed this or that they would say it out loud as Napoleon did. But there's no doubt that every single one of us have acted in a way that the laws of moral wisdom didn't apply to us. That we felt superior, we felt above, that they weren't meant for us. They weren't made for me. That the rules were for everybody but us. And we fall and pray to a prideful attitude that Uzziah fell prey to. And he was blinded by his own success and power, making it more about him than what and who got him to where he was. And his blind spot became that he forgot about the gracious generosity of God. And like Uzziah, you and I, we have the same propensity. Just like we have a little Jacob in us, we have a little Sardis in us, guess what? We have a little Uzziah in us as well. That when things go well, when we're climbing or on top of the mountaintop, the grind isn't quite so challenging. You know what we do? We loosen the parameters. You know why? Because we have it all under control. We let go of what got us to the point up here on the mountaintop. I'm a former soccer player, a former coach. I'm a parent of a soccer player. And they will tell you in soccer that the most unsafe lead in soccer is 2-0 or 2-0. If you have a two-goal lead, it's one of the worst leads that you can have in soccer. And here is why. When you start getting up on a team and you get up on them quickly, you begin to think, we're better, we're more talented, we're more skilled, and we're going to pummel this team. And you know what you do? You kind of let off the gas. You kind of back up a little bit. You think, ah, oh, we got this. We don't have to have the same fundamentals. We don't have to make sure that everything is in line. It's okay if a guy misses an assignment. And they become lax with what they were doing. And then all of a sudden the pressure begins and it goes to two to one. And when it goes to two to one, the losing team often has the momentum at two to one. And what do they keep doing? They keep pressing and they keep pushing and they keep attacking. And the next thing you know, it's two to two. And then the next thing you know, it's three to two for the opposing team. And the other team is left wondering at the end of the game, how in the world did that happen? Well, that's where the coach is supposed to step in. And the coach is supposed to warn the team, listen, guys, you may have this under control. You may have everything going well, but it could change in a matter of moments. Don't stop what got you here. Keep the fundamentals. Keep your shape. Keep your form. Keep your formation. Make sure you continue to attack and play as a team. Don't become individualistic or selfish. That's what the coach is there to do. Well, guess what? Uzziah had somebody warn him as well. In the midst of unfaithfulness, he's confronted. Look at this. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, they followed him in. 81. 81 men followed Uzziah in. And here's what it says. They confronted him and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah. You stop what you're doing. What are you thinking? This isn't for you and you know this. Leave the sanctuary. You've been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. A king once honored by God is now unfaithful and not going to be honored by God. And if we're really honest with ourselves, 
We all find ourselves at the crossroad of life where we are about to make a significant moral choice that will mark our lives forever. We've either been at that crossroads, we're at that crossroads now, or we're about to get to that crossroads. And there can be success or failure at that crossroads and in those moments. And the success or failure in those moments depends on the willingness of those who know us. Know us enough and love us enough to pursue us into the very point of our stupidity, of our foolishness and our unfaithfulness and say, stop, don't do this. You know better. Turn around. Go the other way. And it seems like God places those people on our path at the exact moment when our direction is off and we're about to drift and have dash drift. And maybe we're already there. Being confronted, you know what Uzziah did? He lashed out. It says in raging anger, he went off and he said, I'm the king. Well, I imagine this is what he said. It doesn't give us his exact words, but I can imagine Uzziah as he's lashing out at Azariah and the others. I'm the king. You don't tell me what to do. You priest, you stay in your lane. I tell you what to do. And the priests are like, no, you stay in your lane. Accountability once on the high point of Uzziah's list is now no longer high. He doesn't like the accountability. And if we're honest, listen, I don't know anybody that likes accountability in moments of those crucial decisions. But because of refusing to, to own his own responsibility and his failure of listening to those around him, he was struck with leprosy. He was pushed into isolation for the remainder of his time as king. And here's the end of his life. He rested with his fathers. He was buried near them in a field for burial that belonged to the kings and all the people that voted him in, here's what they said. He had leprosy. That's it. It's over. That's the last we hear about Uzziah during this time. And I think we could say a lot about this story. I think there's a lot of things that, that stick out and we could, we could have a lot of implications. Maybe one of them would be, listen, a great start doesn't guarantee a great finish. You may have started well, but that doesn't guarantee that you're gonna finish well. And I may have started well, but that doesn't guarantee I'm gonna finish well. Or we could say maybe something like this, just because he's used us or just because he's used you or just because he's used me doesn't mean that we're done needing him. That could be said. But if we're really honest about life, there are so many ways to get life wrong. And too many times, you and I, all of us, we get it wrong. I've got it wrong more times than I'd like to admit. We'd be here for the rest, I don't know, of the year to talk about all the times I've got it wrong. And that may be like the first 12 years of my life. I've said things I wish I wouldn't have said. I've done things I wish I wouldn't have done. I've made decisions I wish I would have never made. In pride, I've elevated myself above other people and I've watched others do the same. We've all gotten to a place where it seems like success is inflating our ego and it's blowing our head up. And then we've all been to the point and maybe you are drifting toward that point where we've fallen and we've experienced utter failure. Maybe just a failure. Maybe it's a monumental fa failure. 
And maybe that's where you are right now in this moment. You're facing circumstances with potential consequences because of some decision that you decided to make. And now you feel marked by it. It's like ingrained in you. It's never forgotten and you can't seem to let it go. And if your dash ended today, if your life ended today and somebody wrote words about you, you don't even know if they would be any better than Uzziah's. Because here's what you feel like. Your past failures are defining your present reality. That you can't get over your past failures. It's like they're hanging over your head. It's like you've resigned that this is your cross to bear. And if you're really honest with yourself that your past failures are defining your present reality, guess what? You don't think your future looks much brighter. You've tried to overcome it, but it keeps getting thrown back in your face. You're never going to be more than this. Your failure, it seems fatal to your life. But I want to ask you something. What if a different story could be written with your life? See, man at the time, they didn't think much of Uzziah. No mention of his success at his death. Only he had leprosy. But here's the beautiful picture that even though he was nothing in the eyes of man, he was everything in the eyes of God. And if we fast forward up several hundred years to the account of Matthew, to a place we often skip over, here's what we read. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asa. And then it goes on to say, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. And look at this, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, and fast forward through the genealogy, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Look at the connection, Jesus and Uzziah. Uzziah and Jesus. Uzziah being descendant of none other than Jesus Christ himself. He died a leper, but in God, his story wasn't over. You know why? God's love reaches deeper than we could ever imagine. It's why one of my most favorite verses in all of scripture is not John 3, 16, it's actually John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And maybe this morning is a chance for you to reconsider where it is you actually are. You're thinking, how is it possible? How can I overcome my past failures? How can I keep from those defining my present reality and have a brighter future? Because God knew deep down, we could never get it right. He knew I would never get it right. He knew you would never get it right. That's why Romans 5 says, in our biggest mess, in our uttermost failure, at our very worst, He died for us. Jesus died so that you could have a different story. And like Uzziah, here's what I believe. Your story and my story isn't finished. And this is how I know, because when failure intersects with the grace of God, it writes a story of hope. It writes a story of hope. What's hope? 
that my tomorrow is gonna be better than my today. That in Christ, God doesn't see our past failure, he sees our future potential. There was nothing in the genealogy mentioned of Uzziah's successes, nor his failure, nor his leprosy. The only thing mentioned was that Uzziah was a descendant of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be defined by your past failure anymore. Yours can be a story of hope. Yours can be a story of grace. And it can start today because Peter tells us how right here. Repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn to God. Turn from where you are and turn to God. So that what? Your sins may be wiped out. Your failures may be erased. That they no longer have to define you. What can define you is that now times of refreshing can come from the Lord. You can experience a season of refreshing. And maybe you've drifted. Maybe you're in the middle of a drift and you just realized it. Guess what you can do? Repent and turn back to God and let him start writing a different story with your life. Your life doesn't have to end in dash drift because your dash can be a story of hope and be a story of grace. The question is, have you let grace intersect your failures and let God write the story he wants to write in your life? Let's pray. Father God, wow. Your grace, your mercy, your love, how it reaches to the depths of our soul. Like when we were in the deepest, darkest pit and mire, God, you pull us out and you set our feet on a rock and you put a new song in our mouth and it's a song of praise to you. God, our drift doesn't have to be fatal and our failures don't have to be fatal because God, you write a different story. And so God, I pray this morning that we would turn the pen of our story over to you and let you write the story that you wanna write because it's what's best, it's what's abundant. And when you write the story, God, you give life. So God, I pray that today would be the day that new stories are written, that drift comes to a halt and that God, we repent and we turn back to you and let you be our living hope. In Christ's name I pray.